This is Wayne Kramer, and I'm here to tell you we're going to kick out the jams, Monster Talkers. Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to the Monsters of Talk. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, I am Jim Short. Jim, we're actually in the original room that we usually do the podcast in. We, this is even before the Blue Room. Now we're in the original, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the, the Redwood Room or whatever. This is where we first, I wonder if like super fans can listen and go, oh yeah, I can hear it. You can I hear can the hear, difference. Um, like there's audio files. Mm-hmm. For those of you who get the show on vinyl, mm-hmm. you, can probably, <laughs> you can probably listen and go, that's the, you know those yes. people that know everything about the studio where something was recorded in. Yes. Oh, they did that yeah. on that day. Absolutely. In, that, in Abbey Road, Studio 4 mm-hmm. or something like that. Studio mm-hmm. 1, the big studio. Yeah, well, like exactly. I feel like we're back in Studio 1. We're back in Studio 1. Um, we, we hadn't been in here because we were in the other studio, but now I think we're going to uh, be accommodating uh, a few more other people. Uh, today, Wayne Kramer is our guest and we, we're also, uh, he's got a bit of an entourage, so we uh, are going to have him on, but um, we wanted to get a running start. Sometimes we get, like to get a running start with our guests and, um, and talk a bit, but we haven't talked for a while because I've been away, you've been away. Yeah. Um, when was the last time we recorded anything? We recorded December? in January, just briefly before you left who to did go we, back to Atlanta. Who did we record? Adam. Oh, duh. Adam Barter. That's right. And we recorded that in the blue. And that's when his friend <laughs> uh, his friend showed oh. up. <laughs> Just can we in, talk about this? Yeah, we can talk about this. Um, Adam um, is friendly with the guy, and I, I think his name is Toby. And he yes. is very tall, yet he uh, looks a lot like Justin Bieber because he's had $100,000 worth of plastic surgery to look like Justin Bieber. M- money well spent. Well, he does look like Justin Bieber, yeah. but he, but he physically the, his type is wrong because he's much taller. Yeah, and uh, so in a sense, you know, you can't really make somebody look like Justin Bieber if they don't already have that. That's Justin Bieber material. He's I, I don't really know if he did. He looked I don't know he, he looked sort of like looks like weird, a handsome weird, not young weird man. but weirdly like Justin Bieber, but yeah. not but a tall like Very an tall. ogre. He's no, that's tall. not. That's horrible to say. No, not he's just a he tall horrible. kid. He's just a. He's a good-looking kid, but he, he's just much taller than you would think. That because I, I I know Justin Bieber actually, oddly enough, I know him personally, which is a stupid thing. I don't oh, know really? why I know him. Yeah, I've never heard this. Well, I I, I, I don't know him, know him, but I met him before. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen him perform yeah, yeah. in in oh, my you know, face you did, a number of times. You did talk about that, yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, it's been uh, his performance, live performances. Um, have been wasted on me because I can't appreciate it. I mean, I'm a fan as much as anybody can be, but it's not my age group, and it's right. not my um, not that kind of music. It's not. My That's what I tea. feel like too. Like I don't even I don't even disparage him because it's no. not it, it's not for me. No, it's not for so me. So I can't sit there and go horrible this that whatever. No. His behavior needs maybe a check. Maybe he seems but, to be a bit out of, out of order there. Yeah, but, I mean, you know. it is whatever. It is what it is, but. Um, as far as I, I, getting to see him, I have seen him a disproportionate number of times to uh, the average person who is maybe a fan of his. I wish I could, could trade that experience with them because they would right. really, really Like you could give it. them, I'll give you my Bieber experience. Yeah, and if you I could, could have get some somebody sort of else's. Some, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I wish that I could trade that to somebody else because I can't appreciate it like it should be appreciated. Somebody of his magnitude. Mm-hmm. But being in his physical presence, I do know he's a small guy. And, uh, a young chap, yeah. a young guy, and not not very tall, and not um, not so big. And then Toby is rather tall, and um, m- just a much larger representation of, of Justin Bieber. So yes, yeah, Toby did come over. We but should have talked to Toby. We sh- maybe we will. But then I sent I don't know if it's him. Why I sent you something the other day mm-hmm. uh, in a- an email, a photo. Yeah, it was uh, it was a model who looks like Justin Bieber, and I'm not sure if that was him or not. I don't know, but and it, it was modeling what the uh, it was a doll. It was a love was it was a Justin Bieber love doll. Yes, a sex doll. Yeah, so and it had the smiling face on mm-hmm. on the the front of it. Yeah, of the of the model. Uh-huh. And I thought I said to you, I think the Justin Bieber look like got a gig, <laughs> but I don't know if I don't know if it's him I or not. I don't know if it's him because the the um it really did look like him. I mean, the, yeah. when you see Toby, he he looks like him also, but mm-hmm. he doesn't look as exactly. Like him, not completely. Um, because he just he's just taller. Do you think that's a coveted gig to have, being the model for the Justin Bieber sex doll? Might be. It might. I, be. I bet you. Well, in our culture, plenty of people are like 
were up for that gig. You, you know, I mean, the, the celebrity lookalikes uh, kind of... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's even different from the celebrity lookalike, you know, you go to a party and pretend to be so-and-so. When you, <laughs> no, you're, nah, kid, you're modeling the, the Justin Bieber sex doll. Yeah. In which case, they might just use a photograph of Justin Bieber and deal with the cease and desist later. You know, that might just be right. a photo of Justin Bieber that they've altered slightly in Photoshop. Mm. I mean, it, who knows what kind of licensing, that kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's a real gray area, that kind of, um, you know, celebrity look like sex doll <laughs> right. area. Well, usually it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's really just down to, and a lot of the, the, the female porn stars mm-hmm. will just, they'll just have... Um, a one segment of them. No, it's just pussy and asshole. Yes. Like, yeah. or, or if you're a really big star, maybe it's just asshole. <laughs> Say like, um, you know, uh, somebody like T- uh, Tara Patrick, a very, right. very big star. She, she has a, a just asshole doll, you know, and then there's some of the lesser stars might have Can pussy you get and the asshole. rest? Can you get like vagina sold separately? Yeah. You Is could, it? you could, or like a lesser star. Does she just do her asshole? She just did an asshole one. Because she just doesn't, she doesn't have to do a pussy and asshole. She she can do whatever she likes, right? You know. Um, so, uh, but the, there's other stars out there that did different parts. Could you imagine ever buying a a, 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 a rubber representation of somebody that you enjoyed? Um, no, because I mean, it's like you know, uh, I think that when you're with somebody, I don't. I see the whole person. I don't only see the whole. Like, you know, it's like that yeah. to me, it just really objectifies the person o- o- only to be like the whole. And like for me, I'm into the, the spirit and their Yeah, there's much more. That sometimes you don't even have to go to that. No, most times you don't even have to go to That's that. That's what I, I think I joked about that a long time ago because, you know, you, they, they sell them anyway. They aren't modeled on anyone specific. Yeah, yeah. You can just buy a vagina mm-hmm. in a box. And that's, for me, that's the guy that's just like, I don't care about. The torso, the head, yeah. the, none of it. I just want. I'm just very direct. Yeah, I just want the whole. Just that, uh-huh. but yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a very interesting thing it, to purchase. It is an interesting thing to purchase. I actually talked with um, Tina Fey about this. Tina Fey and I had a, a long discussion about yeah, yeah. real dolls because oh, that's a different. That's thing. a different thing, um, which is a uh, similar to the Justin Bieber doll, but. It's um it's a real doll of a of a you know and a whole human being, and there is uh, one out there I know that exists exactly like Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> so I I was trying to theorize with Tina. I was like, I'm sure there's one of me, and I'm sure there's one of you, out there. And um, absolutely. And uh, also, we thought there's definitely got to be one of Brandon W. Jones, who is the um. He is uh, on Cabot College. He's the sort of the sexy guy. Oh, yeah. Really handsome yeah. young man. So we're just sure that he's, he's got to have a real doll of him somewhere. But I, I, I know for a fact that the Whoopi Goldberg one exists. How, how can you say? Is this uh, classified information? No, no. I mean, I, I know that it exists because I, I, I watched a special on the real doll company. Oh, and right. They were, okay. they were in the process of making it. And they had showed some of the stages of, you know, making it. Does Whoopi have to go and... Um model for this no 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 and it, it, it's it's you know it, at a certain point like for the real dolls it's just kind of a speculation of what you know if mm-hmm. you're making it with a, a celebrity in mind it's just kind of a speculation right of what their measurements might be or what, and what they, and did, they like. did they show like was it could you tell what era whoopie it was um i i believe it was the ghost era so it was not it, you know it was not really in the 80s but not it was the view not, era not no. the um and it wasn't now. like comic relief <laughs> it was kind of, kind of just, after just a different relief. Yeah, release, but release. So you know, it, it's it's a sort of in her, uh, you know, her uh, ghost era, that 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 time period, late eighties. That late seems 80s. to me like I wonder if any of those people because I've seen the 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 were well, in Vegas years ago. I was in Vegas and going up to one of the uh, casinos where I was working. They had a Madame Tussauds there, mm-hmm. and they had the Whoopi outside. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if whoever bought that real doll was ever like walking by and just, Maybe just like. They I wonder if anybody's ever attacked, uh, uh, sexually wanted. attacked a doll, not a doll, but a wax figurine. You never know. At a Madame Tussauds. You never know. Those dolls I find to be very realistic. The Madame Tussauds business model is interesting because you are um, presumably at a function with the famous people. 
you know, you're not looking at a display or a tableau of what's going on in wax. You are actually in the midst, you know, the, uh-huh. that's the thing about Madame Tussauds that to me is, is quite different um, than what we think about as a wax museum and what we think about as a chamber of horrors. Their chamber of horrors is very different as well. But uh, it, it, Madame Tussauds actually puts you in the middle of the action. So it's right. like you're like attending, you were there, yeah. yeah, you're attending a function with all these different celebrities. So there is much more of a likelihood of uh, sexual uh, sort of attack on one of the models or one of the because you get closer to them. You're closer, trying to, to get up there. Yeah, that's it. what I wonder. And 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 in Berlin, when we were in Berlin, we were we were by Madame mm-hmm. Swords there. Yes, yes. It's right by the Brandenburg Gate. Yes, yes. But the it was of course it was closed, but outside we could see who they have. Yeah. And it wasn't just the celebrities that we'd think of. There might have been a Brad Pitt and there might have, but there was mm-hmm. a Karl Marx. Yes, yes. And, a, and an Angela Merkel. They had an Angela Merkel. And mm-hmm. uh, but they had very much other kind of people. A Karl <laughs> Marx is quite kind of interesting because yeah. you're never going to see a Karl Marx at any other Madame Tussauds. No, only there. Maybe if uh, I guess if there's one in Russia you might see one, but that Yeah, maybe there. <laughs> maybe yeah. there too. Even, probably, there. even now I don't think you would have one there now. Yeah, it was an interesting um, kind of person yeah. to have represented. Yeah. Well, I guess he was from Berlin. Yeah. Buried there. I'm not I'm not sure. So they have some, you know, they have some historical figures. Right. Um the, the there was a, a, a not a Madame Tussauds in um And by the way, the the Karl, the Karl Marx uh, real doll. Oh yeah. <laughs> not very the, popular. Oh, not very popular. <laughs> well, you know only, only bears. Only bears. Some bears might enjoy some that. Some bears would really enjoy that. <laughs> some political bears would really, really enjoy that. <laughs> but um there's a wax museum in Mexico City, which is pretty great. And it's not a Madame Tussauds. And their, their um, Chamber of Horrors was very interesting because it had uh, not any of the usual suspects of your Chamber of Horrors. It had um, a witch, like a, a bruja, like a Mexican witch, yeah. um, who was just a little woman who, who looked really angry and not very threatening, but was just, I guess, maybe culturally is much more threatening than... What what we view because she could be on the and living in your neighborhood yeah and you wouldn't know that she's the witch yeah and she didn't have any witch signifiers like a broom or like a pointy hat or green skin or she an was apple. just no nothing like that she was just um she she was just a te- technically a bruja and then the other person they had was Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> who I I think is kind of a that's um you know kind of a wild card for a Chamber of Horrors to have mm. Jeffrey Dahmer I I think because I I think of him as is a sort of a true crime figure, maybe larger than life in a lot of ways, right. but um, still at the same time, he was just a human being. So, um, you know, not he wasn't sort of like the, the usual chamber of horrors that you have. In San Francisco, the, the chamber of horrors um, there, the, the Wax Museum had heavy emphasis on um, gangland. So a lot of Al Capone. Right, right. Um, a lot, uh, lot of that kind of stuff. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but there was just a heavy emphasis on that. And then the London Madame Tussauds, their chamber of horrors had people coming and running after you and chasing you. Oh, really? <laughs> In the dark. So that's how it's different. The whole time, like year round, it's not just for year round. And it's horrifying. Halloween time. It's terrible. It's terrible because it's just a bunch of dudes down there. It's like really dressed scary. up as the royal family. No, 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 they're like wearing it's, masks. It's, and it's Prince Philip coming after you. <laughs> oh, it's look. really scary. No, it would be really entertaining, really? I think, if it was it was the royal family. If it, would be, it would be great if you had them dressed up like and historical figures. And now how do you mean chase? No, they don't have the Benny Hill music playing. No, no. In a comical chase. No. It's like really scary, like Jack it's the It's really Ripper. scary. It's like, it's, they're not in costume. They're, well, they wear masks. So yeah, okay. you could, uh, which I think they wear the creepiest mask, the Guy Fox mask. Oh, right. So they, there's a lot of Guy Fox masks, some Scream masks, some hockey, that Jason, Fight of the 13th masks. And they just chase you around and uh, get in your face. And it's just a bunch of, you know, uh, young men probably in their early 20s um, down there working for free, I guess, scaring you, young ladies. But I went down with my husband, Al. We went through and um, it was just me and him and 30 women from Japan... <laughs> Uh-huh. All tried to grab a piece of Al so that they were touching a man when we were going down there. Oh, like he's gonna help. He's, he's gonna, gonna be the security us. for everyone. Okay. But they were all like they 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 didn't have a man around, but so he was the only man. So they all like latched onto him and onto me too, and it was really cute because we were all screaming the whole time. And did you get chased? We got chased through, but I mean, it, it's like there's only so much they can do. They can scare you. 
They don't they don't touch you or anything. They just get in your face and yell. That's and enough. Still, like, can you can you just go? I, I don't want to be chased. I don't want anyone. That's what we've talked about ha- Halloween yeah. houses and stuff like that. Some really freaky, scary ones. Yeah. I just don't want. I, can I just go and look at the shit and then and no. not be frightened? I think that's out what of you, my wits. That's what you sign up for if you're going down. I mean, but, no, but not not madam, not a wax museum. No, but the Chamber of Horrors is like a, a, you it's know, a separate. It's a thing. separate. It's also a separate admission. Oh, okay. You know, and they don't let children in there, and it's uh, right. it's its own thing. But um, I always like the Chamber of Horrors everywhere because you always like to see culturally what is the horrifying thing that this this culture thinks is scary. You know, that's cool. And what was it in Britain? It was probably what Jack the Ripper. Oh, Jack the Ripper. Um, Henry the Eighth. Henry the Eighth. Oh, I don't know if it was Henry the Eighth, but I think there was probably. Um, there was probably some dentist, um, Spanish Inquisition. A dentist. Mm-hmm. Pirates. <laughs> um, definitely Spanish Inquisition. Right. Um, definitely uh, uh, not as much gangland stuff. That was that that seemed to be uh, only the. Do they have like East, East End gangs? Um, kind of a kind of a. No, but I think they probably had the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh yeah, that you kind know? of stuff, right? Oh, and then Ian and Ian Brady and Myra Henley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that that that's that's sort of their nod to modern, mm-hmm. uh, modern day um, kind of terrible, terrible things. Uh, no, no, Ray Winston type. No, no, sexy beast. Ray Winston would be that would be more <laughs> uh, glorified. Yeah. You know, that's not really a it, that that's more of a, a thing that I think they 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 like to celebrate. Right. You right. know, Ray this Winston, is really scary. Yeah, he's not he's not considered scary. He's considered a national hero. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually watched um, all the uh, all those impressions again from the trip. You know, yes, the, the, <laughs> from the Ray Winston one. Mm-hmm. My favorite, though, I think is probably Michael Caine. Oh, that whole scene of Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon doing Michael. This is the best Michael Caine ever. Yeah, the the different, but they're they're arguing about who's doing a better Michael Caine. Yeah, it's so good. And it's really, and then sort of sort of starting from Michael Caine in the '60s, and then. Steve Coogan saying that, oh, but you don't do the broken voice. You don't do the broken voice. It's really funny. But yeah, in, in Britain, they don't, I don't think they have the same idea of Ray Winston being a night, a, sort of a nightmare or a, a scary no, not th- at all, yeah. thought. He's, I was just thinking of gangsters because he's in so many gangster he movies. Is a, he is a good gangster and hero, as is Wayne. Wayne Kramer is coming on our show today. We're doing kind of a long lead up, so we have some time. I watched um, part of the documentary today, which was about the MC5 in Detroit, and it was their beginnings at mm-hmm. the, the Grandy the Grandy Ballroom. Somebody had shared it, sent it to, and posted it on Kevin Kataoka's timeline. <laughs> so I got it. We should have Kevin Kataoka. We we should call Kevin, yeah, and ask him for some questions. Okay, because I don't. You know, I think I don't have as much. I'm not as well versed in those uh, that sort of the Detroit thing that. But then a lot of musicians that I like come from Detroit. Well, there's so much, yeah, that yeah. did spring from that. And those guys were there before all of it, really. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, they sort of, I mean, we can definitely ask Wayne. Um, but it, 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 it bore, like, Iggy and the Stooges and the whole thing. They came after. Yeah. MC5, Motor were, City 5. Yeah, they were really, um, it, it's like they were inspired by that. But even, like, MC5 was a really, I mean, it was even kind of like, outrageous during the hippie era because that's kind of what was going on it was like psychedelic rock and acid yeah. rock like hippie stuff in the san francisco sound mm-hmm. and it was it was like in the san francisco style but it was happening in detroit mm-hmm. and this was almost like so much harder than that mm-hmm. and and more well much more um uh it had more of a i think a, a, a not even a message but it had it had a force behind it mm-hmm. i mean it's it wasn't um, just peace and love it was it was a bit more like now here's the real revolution yeah and also they were children too like if you look at the guys you know they're really embryonic they're so young in the mc5 they're so so young it's really funny to see them so young um and it you know kind of also they're still sort of wearing like the um cream outfits like so there's, yeah. there's a little bit yeah. of the, they've got a little bit of procol harem a little bit of like the velvet jacket kind of thing you know it's 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 a little bit Jimi hendrix experience mm-hmm. little you know little little reading i don't know what it is but kind of dandyish kind of kind of yeah hendrix froze a little mm-hmm. bit and Eric that Clapton real psychedelia froze. but hardcore 
music harder than probably even hippies were into. Yeah. And like, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely something that I'm curious about. The only, like, I think things similar in sound and look would be um, the 13th floor, like Rocky Erickson and the 13th floor. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the sort of the direct line that I can draw. Like, oh, this is similar, but I don't know what else is. Oh, they might be here. Let's take a break and see All if right, that's we'll be them. Back. And now we are here with Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer doing so many, so many things. Not just, um, not just an amazing musician, but also an activist, also a um, true rock and roll pioneer, uh, also jazz man, also um, one of the greatest rock guitarists of all time. Also, um, well, yeah, you, for, you score films, you score, you score television, you um, create lots of things. Well, you know, try to stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, how do you do it and also manage to um, do it with such finesse? It's cool. Um, boy, I don't know about the finesse. I just try to put one foot in front of the other and not trip over them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I love, um, I love, I've been researching all your stuff today and I was watching the documentary that is about the MC5s. It's in Detroit. Ah. And... You know, the, there's all this footage of you guys, and you're so young when yeah. you, when, when, I mean, but you still, you still have the same physique, you have the same body, same face. How do you do that? Like, it's like a, you're like a rock child grown into manhood, and you're still here. Clean living. That's my, that must be it. And if you go for that, you'll go for anything. <laughs> Who knows? I wish I could take credit for it. You know, I, I, I um, certainly abused myself mm -hmm. um, for decades um, with a real fervor. Right. Um, but somehow I didn't kill myself. And um, since then, I, I uh, try to eat right and, you yeah. know, I train and uh, try to get enough sleep and and uh, who knows? Who, who I, you know, if I could bottle it and sell it, I'd be rich. That's the good antidote to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Eat, eat right, train, yeah, and and, and get get some sleep, right? Yeah, but that it's, doesn't look as good on a t-shirt, though. But usually, people who um, have <laughs> no, it, blo had it blows that. your whole rock, the whole <laughs> yeah, yeah. rock image, but the whole that's mystique. That's why some people are still here and some people aren't, right? But maybe I don't maybe. know. You know, it's an inexact science. <laughs> it's. I think it's your mileage may vary for every mm. single one. Yes, always different. But I noticed that certain people that even even though they have a long history of drug abuse and alcoholism and everything. They look really good still. Like, um, I was a very, uh, I was a big fan of um, Hubert Selby, Selby Jr. Mm -hmm. I knew him personally towards the end of his life, and he was so young, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and nobody was more guilty of self abuse than than him. And he 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 still had this this angelic quality, a very pure quality. There, I don't know. There's something about addiction that if it doesn't kill you, you you kind of look really good from it for some reason. Well, you know, we could speculate. Yeah. I mean, certain substances are worse than others. Yes. Um, tobacco and alcohol, the legal drugs, right. are brutal. Right. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, it's well known, they're lethal. Alcohol is such a toxic substance, you know, like it disintegrates human tissue. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, opiates don't actually do you any damage physically. Mm -hmm. There are some side effects, um, you know, that are problematic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, other drugs, uh, methadrine is a terrible drug. You know, it just destroys people. Cocaine is a very, very toxic uh, substance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm not um, advocating for any one over the other. I just think that... Um, if you really pay attention to the facts, um, you can't you can't lump them all together, and and uh, and it's it's just endlessly infuriating that the drugs that are the most damaging are the ones that are huge industries, right. legal industries in America, mm -hmm. and the drugs that aren't so hard on you, people are sent to prison and uh, you know for decades. Mm -hmm. So so you know the contradiction is is. It's uh, infuriating. Yeah. Well, you um, have direct experience with that. You were incarcerated for 
years and your new album is actually the the name of the place you the institution you were at which i think is incredibly ironic now what let's let's talk about that and like sure. your your relationship with the name lexington the place lexington and your album lexington well um the place um the, it, it was built the facility was built in the 1930s at the mm-hmm. in the height of the progressive era in america uh you know when uh you know we put our best people on it, then we're going to get it fixed, whatever it is. You know, we're going to atomic energy, uh, cancer. We're just going to fix it. We're going to put our best people in there. And it was, it was America's first attempt at, um, dealing with drug addiction as a social problem. Um, you know, when the Harrison narcotics act and the pure, pure food and drug acts were passed in the 1920s, um, uh, opiate abuse became illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had been legal in America up to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and people didn't stop using it. They just started getting arrested for it. <laughs> right. And they started going to prison. And the prison wardens uh, started to complain about these uh, junkies. They they were ruining their good prisons. You know, mm-hmm. the junkies didn't follow the prison code. Yeah. <laughs> we they, had order with these criminals. Yes, yeah, so we had right? our good criminals in here. And the I, criminals that knew what to, you know, to, that, to behave. That's right. And and these junkies, you just can't trust them, and they'll lie to you. And uh, and so they all complained enough that the Fed said, well, we're going to build a special prison just for them, and it's a hospital, and we're going to try to get to the bottom of this mm-hmm. addiction thing. And And so for the first time in history... Addiction was studied scientifically mm-hmm. at the at the United States Public Health Service Narcotics Farm at Lexington, Kentucky. It's a huge uh, 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 federal style building. You know, it's massive uh, facility, and it operated. Uh, through the, throughout the end of the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, and they, the history of the place is pretty interesting in as much as um, they would perform experiments on prisoners mm. uh, because they admitted they didn't know anything about addiction, and right. so we might as well talk to the people who know about it, which is junkies yeah yeah <laughs> drug users let's ask them you know they know they've been using them all their lives. So they tried these experiments, and they would. Um, the program worked that you could get time off of your sentence in exchange for participating in the programs. Mm-hmm. In the entire history of Lexington, no one ever took the time off their sentence because the other option was you could get uh, the narcotics of your choice. Oh. As payment. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> no one ever took time off. Right. They all took the drugs. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Why junkies? go out when yeah. you can stay in and do what you yeah. enjoyed and, That's amazing. and have a bed? <laughs> Pharmaceutical grade. Too. Yeah. <laughs> USP. Yeah. Sounds good to me. So, uh, uh, you know, they learned a great deal. Um, they unfortunately couldn't crack the complex mental disorder that addiction is Mm -hmm. it's a really complicated uh condition and then in the cold war era the cia got involved and they started experimenting with lsd they were looking for some kind of mind control edge on the russians right um and they were uh, you know dosing people and they give people acid every day for 150 days and Mm -hmm. watch what happened to them you know Mm -hmm. Uh, it was terrible stuff and and not tell them yeah. Right. Yeah. That's I mean, really they scary. were really, they were really pernicious, uh, foul. Uh, uh, you know, ethically, they were uh, su- substandard, um, and ultimately, it all came out. It was a big congressional hearing, uh, and the program was ended. The United States uh, Bureau of Prisons took over the facility. And it became a federal correctional institution where in the 1970s, when I got caught up in a, uh, a misguided attempt to uh, finance a band, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, became the prison that I served. My, I was given a four-year prison term by the federal judge with a three-year special parole term. So here I am in this institution with all this drug history. Right. And the thing that made it special for me was 
almost all the jazz musicians that used heroin came through Lexington. Mm -hmm. um, if you got arrested, you were offered you, the Lexington option, mm -hmm. or you could voluntarily go to Lexington to take the cure, right. what cure they had. So everyone that used had been there. You yeah. know, Elvin Jones had been there, Gene Ammons, Howard McGee, Monk, Bird, everybody went, right. you know. I mean, everybody. So there was a, this great cultural legacy there. Yeah. So to wrap this all up, <laughs> and I know these answers are long, but no, no but they're, 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 no, they're exciting. They're it's interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. You know, they require some background and some mm -hmm. nuance. Yes. Um, I served my time there. Um, uh, and then I watched for 35 years as more people just like me, regular round the way guys and women, mm -hmm. went to prison for longer and longer sentences as a result of this war on drugs. And um, at one point, some filmmakers approached me. They were doing a documentary on it, and they heard I had served a sentence there, and what I said for an interview. And I said, sure. And I asked them, who's doing the music on this movie? And they said, we hadn't thought of that yet. And I said, well, I'll be doing the music uh, on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, great. Um, so I, I scored the film. It, it was for PBS. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a good movie. It's called The Narcotic Farm. And um, in the process of doing the score, it all started to kind of fall into place that this this through line of of going back to the Calvinist, Calvinist prohibition against getting high, you know, mm -hmm. what, where does all that, all, all that thinking come from, that it's a sin to change your consciousness, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the, the war on drugs, you know, and how did all that come into being Henry Anslinger and the, the war on marijuana and, and the, uh, the, the buildup of the police state and the, then the prison industrial complex that emerged out of the war on drugs. Um, and then the cultural influence of the jazz musicians, me going there, jazz has always been hugely important to me. Mm -hmm. I play jazz. Yeah. I'm a jazz musician. That all of a sudden all the, place, all the pieces were in place to tell a bigger story. Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's, let's make a record out of this while we're at it. I had all live musicians. I had wonderful players because yeah. I wanted it to be a jazz score for the film. And little by little, everything started to kind of just naturally fall into place. Today, um, the record is done. It comes out uh, on Record Store Day, April 19th. Yes. Uh, it's called Lexington on the Industrial Amusement label. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to report it's sold out. That's fantastic. Oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. You hadn't heard? I hadn't heard. Sold out. It's sold it's out. It's amazing. Yeah. It's wow. really amazing. I've been, I've been trying to sell out my whole career. Finally. My yeah. whole life, I wanted to sell out. People accuse me of selling out. I say, I'm trying. I haven't been buying. Finally, I sold out. Um, I have a question about, um, this is something that I've been curious about ever since I started listening to music, is what is the connection between jazz and heroin? I mean, what is that? There is a symbiotic relationship between jazz and heroin that is much more enduring than even punk and heroin or any rock and roll and heroin. Mm -hmm. Jazz and heroin is, it's just, they they are, they are identically, I, I don't know, somehow chemically the same in the brain? Well, they're, they're, uh, this, is, this, this could be con considered a crackpot theory, but um, if, if you, you might be able to look at the different errors, eras of music and the drugs the musicians took and mm -hmm. how that influenced the music, like um, the music of the 20s, where um, you know it was during prohibition, there was a lot of uh, champagne, wines, light, bubbly. People smoked marijuana. The musicians, mm -hmm. so the music was a kind of light, you know, dance and uh, and the flapper girls and all that kind of dancing jazz. Um, and then uh, you know, in the psychedelic era, you know, acid and uh, acid rock and mm -hmm. twenty-minute guitar solos and uh, you know, all that stuff, but. Um, the era of the small group uh, with the emergence of bebop, you know, uh, coming out of the 40s, post-war period, the era of uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. These were smaller groups. And the music took an um, intensely uh, intellectual turn. 
Mm -hmm. um, jazz became very complicated. The, the harmonic structures became very advanced. And the, the technique necessary to play at that level, the kind of technique that Thelonious Monk was using, or, or Dizzy Gillespie, or Red Rodney, or Charlie Parker, people hadn't played um, with that uh, velocity, uh, you know, with that speed, and harmonically played that far out into the chord structure, you know, like into 12th and 13th chords, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, superimposing one chord on another chord. These were um, pretty advanced ideas. They were met with a lot of rejection. Um, narcotics are painkillers. Mm. Mm. And, you know, even though they originally were utilized by human beings as physical painkillers, they're also psychic painkillers. So there's a, there's a school of thought that says that these jazz musicians were doing something that was so valuable and mm -hmm. so complex and got no recognition for it, mm -hmm. in fact were derided for it, that it was one way they could kind of put a suit of armor on themselves, right. psychically, emotionally, mm -hmm. to continue to do this kind of work, you know, to be able to, because uh, narcotics don't actually fog your mind up like alcohol does. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, they call that alcohol ignorant oil. Because it is, you know, your, your brain gets, you get dumber as the right. more you drink. But uh, to a degree, narcotics don't affect you that way. It's like, you know, marijuana doesn't affect people the same way as alcohol does. These drugs mm -hmm. all have different effects on us. Yeah. So there's a school of thought that says that um, the beboppers that were attracted to narcotics, opiates, um, used it as kind of um, a shield hmm. from, a, from a white America that wasn't right. interested in what they uh -huh. were doing, right. and that re rejected them, even in their own world. You know, white jazz critics, uh, you know, ridiculed bebop, and and later the free jazz movement as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. I never even, I never heard about it or thought about it that way. But that makes complete sense. It, it, it's it's one way of looking mm. at it. Yeah, uh, mm. and and in rock and roll, like you were saying, so you were financing the band <laughs> with, with 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 was it a cocaine bust? Yeah. So it, you, you didn't do Kickstarter, you did Coke Starter <laughs> for your band. <laughs> that was the original way to do it, was Coke yeah, Starter. I, I think I, I, you know, as a gangster, I, I'm a great guitar player. <laughs> I, I think I, I saw The Godfather too many times. I just wanted to drive around in a big car and go to nice yeah. restaurants and carry a gun and, and, talk, and have business meetings. Mm -hmm. It all seemed terribly romantic to me, you know, and the reality of, um, the drug underworld is nowhere near as glamorous and and very right. dangerous and um, and of course the whole thing blew up in my face. I wasn't uh, I, I I did it wasn't until after I went to prison that I learned how to um, actually be a drug dealer. Uh huh. They they schooled me. In oh, there. good. That's, <laughs> I, I that's learned. better. That's better. <laughs> yeah. That's better. So you go in there, you get a career. Yeah. They right. teach you, right. right? You get some job skills. <laughs> so I'm thinking. I'm just picturing this as being after the Grandy Ballroom. Era, mm -hmm. so this would probably be like in the seventies. I went bit down more. in seventy-five, and mm -hmm. I came up in uh, seventy-eight. Wow, wow! Was it that time period too? Like um, everyone was very against um, the, the government. Was very like they would like Nixon's FBI was tracking a lot of musicians, and and th so they really were trying to bust people. So was that was that just the times then where they were really looking to? I mean, probably trying to get drugs anyway, but. Well, a lot of musicians like they were really against it. You know, in my in my case, I mean, yes, we we know now that the there was a government program that targeted um, groups, mostly young people, mm -hmm. who uh, stood in opposition to government policy. Uh, it was called COINTELPRO. They targeted um, the Black Panther Party. They targeted uh, SDS. They targeted mm -hmm. the women's movement. They targeted the civil rights movement. They targeted the yippies. They targeted us, the MC5, and, and our political wing, the, the White Panther Party. Um, and they sent in um, agent provocateurs. You know, people would show up and want to join up. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not taking applicants right now. Thank you. <laughs> but... Uh, um, that was one, that was a political, uh, you know, that was designed to crush domestic protests. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone that uh, disagreed with the government's policies was targeted. 
Um, in my case, um, it had more to do with the war on drugs. But it's right. interesting, at least to me it's interesting, that one day, uh, I think it was the day that I was being led out, right after the, the, the big bust went down, and the agents were taking me out and putting me in the van to take me down to the federal building. Mm -hmm. I asked the agent in charge, I said, how did you guys get on to me? And he said, Kramer, we've got shit on you going back to the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly they went back. I mean, it's, it's all the same agencies. It's the same yeah. So once they figured out who you were, it was like, it's even better because this guy. Yeah. But that time, because John Sinclair, who managed you guys for a while, mm -hmm. um, was the famous, the, mm -hmm. he was the famous guy who got... 10 for two. John Lennon sung about, sung about him. Yep. He got mm -hmm. 10 years, what, for two joints? For two joints. He gave, he gave two joints to an undercover female police officer. Mm -hmm. He thought he was going to promote a little, uh, yeah. little something. something a free there. love. Yeah. yeah. A little free love. There. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a couple of these joints, baby, and uh, we'll get together, see? Click. Oh, terrible. Nine so and terrible. Nine ten, yeah. So terrible. But yeah, which, when you think about that now, I mean, it's only now slowly starting to relax some of those laws. We see like Colorado and things like that mm. and, and the, with the medical, but, but back then. And so there was a big, that was a big cause celebrity that back then too, like everybody. Were you around, didn't John Lennon and Yoko come to a, a, yeah, a concert had, in Ann Arbor we, for, we for a, John? a huge um, event, a free John Sinclair rally and... Uh, Stevie Wonder and Bob Seger and Bobby Seale from the Black Panther Party, and John Lennon, Yoko, Archie Shep, um, Phil Oaks. Oh yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, it was it. You know, when when the when the Michigan Supreme Court saw seventeen thousand young people supporting John Sinclair, they agreed with us that nine and a half to ten for two joints was unconstitutional and it was cruel and unusual punishment. Of, of course, we've gone way crueler and way more unusual since then. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. That's really incredible. But still, like, your relationship with um, people who are incarcerated, it's still, it's transformed and it grows to this day with jail guitar doors and that is a very hands-on thing. Um, where, you know, and I would love to work with you on that, you know, and, and Wayne's been going into prison and, and teaching and, and giving guitars. And what else are you doing in there? You're, you're doing concerts there. You're bringing mm -hmm. Jill Sobule in to mm -hmm. sing and perform. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you, what is, so this is here and also in, in the United Kingdom too. Yes, yes. Well, what we do is simple. We find people that work in corrections that are willing to use music as a tool for rehabilitation. And we provide them with those tools, mostly um, acoustic guitars. Um, you know, after watching first thousands and then tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands and then, you know, there's 2.3 million Americans in serving time right now. You know, 10 million people under direct state control in America, parole, probation. Um, I just, you know, it was it just was infuriating. I just I did a slow burn for a long time, and I I thought, what's going on? Is nobody else noticing what's happening here? You know, am I the, you know, am I just hypersensitive to it because I, I because I'm a formerly incarcerated person? But something's going terribly wrong here. This is uh, international embarrassment, and it's a national disgrace. I mean, the people that that uh, that have created these these conditions should be in the Hague for crimes against humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, our own people, yes. <laughs> you know, and mostly sick people, mm -hmm. addicts, you know, people that should be in treatment. Um, so, so, you know, we, we, by hook or crook, we find people that are, you know, mostly corrections professionals now realize the need for arts in corrections programming. Um, arts and corrections are a incredibly cost-effective um, tool to help people turn their lives around. Um, I have a, a friend who's a sheriff's deputy who told me that education is important. Half of the prisoners in the California state prison system cannot read. So education is crucial. How do you get along in the world if you can't read? Yeah. It's hard enough if you can read. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
But he said, if I educate a criminal, I've got an educated criminal. It takes a change of heart. You've got to get people on a deeper level, a more yeah. fundamental level. Um, they've got to, you've got to find a way to put them in touch with their humanity. And um, the only thing that we know that will do that is art. Mm-hmm. Actually, art and sports. Right. Organized sports. Coach Griffin down at the state prison at Chino told me he's been in the California Department of Corrections working for 25 years. And he said music, painting, theater, sculpture, and organized sports are the things that connect people up in a way that nothing else can. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a transformative uh, experience. If mm-hmm. I can, if we can get guitars in somebody's hands, and task them, yeah. And we do task them. I mean, the guitars are not gifts. We don't say, "Oh, here, have a guitar." Right. Yeah. You know, oh, would you like to? You know, the guitars are a challenge. Yeah. The people that that put up the money to pay for these guitars are sending a message to the men and women in prison, and the message is. We believe in you. Yeah. We believe you want to change for the better. We believe you want to come back and rejoin your friends and family in the world and be part of the world. Mm-hmm. So if you accept these guitars, you've accepted the challenge to use these as tools, as important tools, um, to figure out a new way to express yourself that isn't confrontational. Mm-hmm. I mean, art is anger management. Right. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> and art also teaches the secret of how to work. Yeah. How to stay in one place and complete a task because you want to do that because you're creating something where before there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And nobody can take that away from you. And, and the world of prison is designed um, to, to convince you you have no worth. Mm-hmm. You have no value in the world. That you, you, you mean less than nothing. You're a bother to the world. You're a mistake. Mm-hmm. And um, being creative is a great argument against that worthlessness. You know, you, they, can't yeah. take it, they can't take it away from you. If you can write a song to your son or to your mom or to yourself about maybe how you got there mm-hmm. and put it into a poetic form... It'll change you. Yeah. It'll change you. You'll start to see the world differently. Yeah. That's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's yeah. so important. It's and, really and important. We get, we get mail almost daily from prisoners all over the country. And, and uh, you know, we, we're in 50 prisons now. We have a waiting list of 60 more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just always a, a tough, um, it's a tough sell uh, you know, uh, raising the money. Uh, yeah. If you say you're helping children with, with leukemia, mm-hmm. the money comes flying out of their wallets. Mm-hmm. You yeah. want to help convicted felons? Not so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it, it's a tough sell. And it kind of it, it, it brings up another issue, which is, you know, like, where did all this mean-spiritedness come from? This, this deep sense of revenge you know, people, I mean, they're, let's be frank, most people in the world think prisoners should get nothing, mm-hmm. bread and water. They think they should be, they think that you're sent to prison to be punished, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you're not. No. You're sent to prison as punishment, right. not for punishment. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that, but that, you know, that's something I've, I'm just endlessly fascinated with, you know, where that, that kind of, uh, First century Old Testament thinking <laughs> yeah, right. comes. Yeah, right, you know? yeah. Because it because ha- it hasn't worked. It didn't work in the first century. Right. And it doesn't work today. No, it doesn't. No, I think what you're doing is really important and really and and, and just it's it's just good for humanity. It's something that we need. Well, uh, you know, we're not judged by you know wealth and and celebrity. Are not, are not a, a measure of character. Mm-hmm. America's a great example of that. <laughs> you know, we've got all kinds of money, and we, you know, the the things that matter in culture and in civilization are hospitals, you know, healthcare, education, prisons. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the things. That's the mark of a civilization. Are you taking care of your people? 
And, you know, we're, we're not doing so good on <laughs> any of those counts. Well, you're taking care of us. That's what that's what we have. We have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so but the album... Then the, you're in trouble. <laughs> it, it came out of... Um, it, I love it, too, because it's Jail Guitar Doors from the Great Clash song. Yeah. Which you are name-checked in. in yes. Uh, and I think, didn't Billy tell a story? He was doing something with Mick Jones, and he said he was going to see you, and then, and then Mick had to remember that... It was, it was you. Me, it's yeah. like it's so long ago. He's like, oh, that's right. Yeah. But it's I love that the, the album um, Lexington and the theme of your work through Jail Guitar Doors and your history, it all, it, all, it all just kind of reads beautifully as one long story about, you know, relationships to this and this, you know, to your humanity. Well, I'm, I'm you know, we, we, we create our art mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we're... we're it's like painting on cave walls. Yeah. You know, I went out today, I got an antelope. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> yes. You know, so I went to prison, this is what happened. I'm, try- I'm trying to, in the music, tell a story about what it felt like to, to go through what I went through. And if I, if I can do it honestly, maybe someone else felt that way too, you know. And then maybe we connect and we all realize... We're not, we're not alone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the best. Where can people find out? Are you going to tour with uh, with this record? Are you going to do live dates? Or are you going to do some more Jail Guitar Doors um, kind of benefits? What are yeah, you- sure. Well, um, uh, yes, all the above. Yes. Uh, we, we have our um, annual Jail Guitar Doors uh, benefit concert on September 5th this year. Oh, great. At the Ford Amphitheater. Oh, fantastic. And we've got a, we're building a great lineup of, uh, of artists. Um, and then I, I do want to do some uh, touring mm-hmm. with Lexington, although I've got to figure out a new way to tour because um, Wayne Kramer riding into town to play free jazz <laughs> <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean tickets at the door, I don't think. I'm not sure. Maybe it does, but... Uh, so I'm thinking, I don't know, you know, maybe I could, I could uh, go out and I could do like, do the whole MC5's first album. Oh, that'd be do, great. Like kick out cool. the jams. And yeah. Then maybe open for myself or something. Yeah, like that'd that. be amazing. Have the Lexington Arts Ensemble open for the MC5. Or That's something. really cool. That's yeah. a great that, idea. I don't know. I'm, That's a great I'm idea. With that idea. I think that that would be wonderful. That'd be really exciting. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Do it. That's what we want. We want that. Right. We're, we're, we're talking about different, you know, how to, we could maybe find a sponsor or maybe a, a Kickstarter, cocaine starter campaign. <laughs> no, just a Kickstarter now. <laughs> That'd be really great. Yes. They made a believer out of me. Yeah, right. I, w- I will not deal any drugs to anyone again. In life. <laughs> but where can people find out about you? Uh, you're on Twitter at Wayne Kramer. Yeah, and you can go to jailguitardoors.org mm-hmm. and learn everything that you need to know. You can make a donation there. Um, there's reports, and it's a, it's a pretty deep website. It's yeah. got a lot of interesting information. And uh, and Lexington is out April 18th. 19th. 19th. Record 19th. Store Day. On Record, record store, store Day. Yeah, they, these, there's these amazing businesses. They're called record stores. I remember when I was a kid. They're good. <laughs> They went good. away. When you could go in and, and listen to it before yeah. you bought it, you put the headphones on in a little room and like, so, I like that. Yeah, so precious. Turn it, turn it to the other side now. Yeah, yeah. They're coming back. Yeah, the yeah. Are They're coming, coming back. back. Yeah. Well, we're so glad. Thank you so much, Wayne Kramer. You are so welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to blab. Usually there's um, armed guards to keep people like me away from microphones. No, we need you. We need you. We're so grateful. Thank you so much. And um, you, you can listen to us all the time. We're on um, every Monday on SoundCloud.com. You can subscribe on iTunes. Um, you can follow us at, at Monsters of Talk. You can follow me at Margaret Cho. Where can they follow you? I'm uh, at, at Jimmy Shelter. Uh, we love our listeners, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you, Wayne Kramer. Thanks, guys. <laughs>